Well, Song of Songs, chapter 2. This, too, is God's holy word. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. And we'll end our reading there this morning. May God bless his word to us. Beloved, in the upper room, before he gave to his disciples the sacrament of communion, we read in John 13, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The Lord's Supper, the sacrament of communion, is the great symbolic declaration of the love of Christ for the church. Peter, Paul, James, and John, so often in their writing in the New Testament, call Christians beloved. Sometimes in English translations, it's translated as dear friends. That's too weak. Beloved. To be a Christian, to be a saint, is to be someone loved by God. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. Sometimes in the Bible, we are called beloved children. Ephesians 5.1, we have a father in heaven who loves us. We are beloved children in the adoption of grace. But the church is also spoken of in the Bible as the bride of Christ. And she is a beloved bride. Christ loves his bride. He loves his people. And that language in particular of the church as the bride of Christ, that imagery is beautifully communicated to us in the book of the Old Testament from which we've just read. The book sometimes called Canticles, which comes from the Latin version of the Bible, or the Song of Solomon, it's sometimes called, or as it is more literally called in the Hebrew Bible, the Song of Songs. Now, there's been debate throughout the history of the church as how to best interpret this book, this song, but Spurgeon is surely right when he said, we take it for granted that the Song of Solomon is a sacred marriage song between Christ and his church, and that it is the Lord Jesus who is here speaking of his church, and indeed each individual member. It wouldn't be the Song of Songs 
which is a way of saying the best song or the most excellent of songs, if it only spoke of some lesser thing than Christ and his bride, the church. It's the most glorious song. And so it has to sing about that most glorious relationship of the Lord Jesus Christ and his people, his bride. This book is in a section of the Hebrew Bible called the Megaloth, which means scrolls. The Old Testament is divided, you remember, into the law and the prophets and the writings. And the Megaloth are in that last section of writings. They are the five small scrolls. That's what that word means, scrolls. They are the five small scrolls of Ruth, Esther, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, and the Song of Songs. And these five books were traditionally read by the Jews at various festivals. Ruth was read at Pentecost. Ecclesiastes at the Feast of Tabernacles. Esther was read at Purim. Lamentations, understandably, was read at the anniversary of the destruction of the temple. But the Song of Songs was traditionally read at Passover. At Passover. And you hear that, you just begin to think about it. Say, yeah. Passover. The Lamb of God. Christ's love for his bride. You see, it is in a beautiful way. Not just the song of songs, but also the song of the supper. It is the song of the supper. Didn't we read in verse 4, he has taken me to the banquet hall. It is the song of the supper. The song of the wedding feast. And here it is for us. This morning, chapter 2, verse 4 captures both thoughts of uh, the song of the song of the supper, the song of marriage, the song of love. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me is love. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, his banner over us is love. We're going to focus on that this morning. His banner over us is love. It's going to come through some mixed metaphors, some different imagery here in chapter 2, but that's the great declaration of the church. His banner over us is love. You've probably seen a lot of banners lately. I certainly have. Lots of them are protest banners, flags of all kinds that we've seen, especially in recent weeks in downtown Ottawa. It was just a a sea of banners and flags. But friends, here is the most beautiful banner that you could ever be found under. 
It is the most comforting flag you could ever fly. And it is the most persuasive pennant that the church can display to the world. The love of God in Jesus Christ to sinners. His banner over us is love. As Christians, then, what is God saying to us here in these words? Well, in chapter 2 of Song of Songs, verses 1 through 4, we see three things primarily. First, we see the beauty of the bride. The beauty of the bride. And then we could uh, speak of the bane of the bride, the trouble, uh, the, the affliction that she suffers, the bane of the bride, and lastly, the banner over the bride. So those three things. And again, it comes with some mixed metaphors, but it all hangs together so beautifully. First, the beauty of the bride. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. The first description of the church here is comparing her to a flower, a rose, a lily. Reminds us of someone here in our congregation who has that name. But that's a picture of the church. That's a description of the church. Flowers are one of the most beautiful things the Lord has created. Not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was arrayed, was clothed like one of these, a flower of the field. People are fascinated, and rightly so, by the intricate beauty, the delicate divine artistry that is found in a flower. But here it's a description of the church, the beauty of the church. God sees great beauty in the church, in the people of God. Is that what you see? Is that what I see? We can easily and readily see the faults and the wrinkles and the shortcomings and, and the sins. And there is a place, a necessary place, to deal with all those and to be very frank about all those and realistic. But do we see the beauty of what God is doing in his people, the church? Do we stop and appreciate the glorious workmanship, the way that a botanist would marvel at a flower of the field, do we stop and appreciate the glorious workmanship of Christ in his people? For we are God's workmanship. The church is a thing of beauty. And it should bring us joy to contemplate the beauty of the church. It should lead us to gratitude and to praise God who has brought this church into existence. We, of course, can focus, you know, the way that if a, a bride came into a church and you'd see that she had spilt coffee on her wedding dress just in the morning and hadn't had a chance to clean, you'd notice that, right? We see the sin clinging to the bride. 
but God saw our sin more than we ever did or could. When the grace and mercy of God found us, it's true, we were disfigured and detestable in our sin. But God saw not just what we were, but what we would be by his grace. Christ loved us even when we were his enemies, even when we were sinners. Christ loved us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy and blameless and beautiful. I think it would do us all good, and I include myself in this, of course. It would do us all good to meditate more on the beauty of the church than we do. To meditate on her beauty in Christ and her beauty for Christ, her Lord. We see the beauty of the bride, but secondly, we see here as well, and it's a little bit shocking maybe, the bane of the bride. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. The Holy Spirit goes on right away in this imagery to speak about the hostile environment of this beautiful flower. She is a lily, yes, but among the thorns. Historically, the Reformed Church in the Netherlands in the 16th century adopted this imagery from the Song of Songs as the motto on their coat of arms, like a lily among the thorns. And if you know Dutch, you can read that on the coat of arms. The church at the time of the Reformation was a church hard-pressed and persecuted and afflicted by its enemies and surrounded by threats and dangers. But by God's grace, the church grew and blossomed. The thorns and the thistles of opposition and persecution could not choke out the seed of the word, and the church blossomed. She was a lily among thorns. Verse 2 reminds us of the fall, doesn't it, in Genesis chapter 3. We live in a fallen world. Creation is filled with thorns and thistles. The church lives, worships, serves in that fallen world. We've been in Ephesians chapter 6, which reminds us of the great spiritual battle that the church is in. We are the lily among the thorns. And that faithful, every faithful biblical church in Canada today is like a lily among the thorns. It's still true. The church, I'm sure, by many people is called many things, often very uncomplimentary and derogatory things. The beauty of the church is not acknowledged. It is rather denied and despised. 
and things that are beautiful, things that the church proclaims and we pray that we live out more and more, according to Scripture, will not be seen or called beautiful, but will be called ugly and hateful. And the thorns are getting thicker and thicker. To just think about the imagery a little more, when thistles are young and small, if you've ever had them in your garden, sometimes they seem even soft if you touch them the right way. You can pull them out. But as they grow and harden and dry out, a thorn becomes more and more sharp and painful. And we see a hardening in our culture. A judicial hardening by God. We see the enemies of Christ becoming harder toward God and toward the church. The thorns are getting sharper as they're getting harder. And the church will feel, unless God intervenes by revival, by a great revival, the church will more and more feel the pain of persecution. And this may apply personally as well. Personally as a Christian, you may feel like your life is surrounded by thorns this morning. Everywhere you try to turn, it's painful. Everywhere you look, there's difficulty. Nothing seems easy. Many things are hurtful. Doesn't that remind you of the Apostle Paul? When he wrote about a thorn in his flesh? Whatever it was, we don't know. And so it's easily applicable to all kinds of situations. And we too must at times as individual Christians deal with thorns in our flesh. Thorns of all kinds. Thorns which may be the things that people around us do to us. That are sharp and prickly. Thorns which may be difficult circumstances into which we've been placed. Thorns which may be stubborn sins or temptations to sin that are around us in a fallen world. Well, there we are as the lily among the thorns. There you are as a Christian, a lily. But among the thorns, how are you going to react to that reality? What is our hope in that reality? And how are we going to overcome well, the answer is here as well, though, again, the metaphor becomes mixed. Both personally and as a church, we must look at the banner flying over the bride. The, the pennant that is displayed over the church, over the children of God, the flag, the flag that is raised over the people of God. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall. See, boys and girls, there the picture changes. Flowers don't get to come to a banquet hall unless they get put on a table. 
But here the metaphor changes. And now it's the person who is like a flower, but it's a person. It's the church. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. What is a lily among the thorns to remember? God's banner over me is love. Now, you may be sitting here this morning, and if I were to ask you, what is the banner flying over your life this morning? If you could just make some kind of banner, and I ask you to write one word over it, in terms of your experience this morning, what are some words that you might write as the banner over your life and experience this morning? could be lots of words. But here's the word that God gives the church. His banner over me is love. Is love. Now you see, to, to read that, there can be a real challenge in that. Can't there? How do thorns and the love of God go together? Wouldn't a truly loving gardener of our souls remove every thorn from our lives? God, you saying that this banner over me is love, but then why are all these thorns in my life? That's not an insignificant question. And if we're honest, and Christians wrestle with it more than maybe we'd like to admit to other people, especially other Christians. When you start to think that way, when you start to question that way, I'm living among the thorns. How can God's banner over me still be love? When you start to think and question that way, this is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. You need to go back to the cross. You need to go back to the cross. Because there are thorns that you will never feel because of Christ. That's what we need to see first. There are thorns that we will never feel if we are God's people, if we're trusting in Jesus because of Christ. Do you remember in Matthew 27, then they twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail the king of the Jews, they said. That crown of thorns that Jesus wore on his way to the cross speaks of the love of our curse-bearing Savior. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest thorn is the thorn of God's wrath, experienced by those who are and will be in hell. But if you're a believer, if you're trusting in the sin-bearing Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, this morning, 
That's a thorn that you'll never feel. Because that was a thorn in his flesh and his soul so that you could be spared. And when you look at the cross, then you say his banner over me is love. Is love. How do you know that? The bread and the cup. The cross of Jesus Christ. God knows that you're among the thorns. He knows. One writer said, He who planted the lily among the thorns sees its beauty. It's God's flower and does... uh, It wastes its sweetness because no human can smell it. Grace struggling in loneliness is very choice in God's esteem. If man does not see you, O lonely believer, you may nevertheless sing, You, God, see me. The flower which blooms for God alone has a special honor bestowed upon it, and so has the saint whose quiet life is all for Jesus. If you are unappreciated by those around you, do not therefore be distressed. You are honorable in the sight of God. You may be a lonely lily among the thorns, but God's banner over you is love. Let your mind go to the cross and and let your mind go to the Apostle Paul again. His grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. We're called to live by faith, aren't we? And not by sight. Faith to see God's love over the church, even the church among the thorns. God's love to individual believers, even as they live among the thorns. We need to see God's love. As Paul prayed, to know the love of God in Christ, the height, width, length, breadth, depth, the love of God in Christ, which surpasses knowledge. As we think of this banner over us as love, we can think of it just briefly and quickly by way of application in four dimensions. The four dimensions of this banner. First, the banner speaks of identity. Identity. In the Old Testament, the tribes had banners under which they marched and lived. Uh, Numbers 2, verse 2, the Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting some distance from it, each of them under their standard and holding the banners of their family. You have a family crest? I think Tara's family does. I've seen it. I don't know if we do as Kingswoods, but people have family crests. Well, the tribes of Israel had banners that identified them that identified who they were, that identified their heritage. Well, beloved, for the church, our heritage is the love of God. That's our identity. It is God's love that created us, that formed us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Over and over again in Scripture, The people of God, as we've mentioned, are simply called the beloved. If you are a Christian this morning, you were purchased, redeemed, and conquered by love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
As the Father has loved me, even so have I loved you. Spurgeon said, each one of you may say with the apostle, he loved me. You may read it in any tense you please. He loved me. He loves me. He will love me. For he gave himself for me. This shall be your song in heaven to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. To him be glory. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friends. We are accepted in the beloved. God loves the Son and those who are in the Son by faith. You are loved in Christ. Your sins don't diminish God's love. Our circumstances don't disprove God's love. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's your identity. His banner over us is love. A banner also speaks of authority. Authority. The Greek translation of the Old Testament uses a word here to translate banner, which gives the sense of being under authority or receiving orders or getting your directions. And here, the banner is what? Love. Love. The summary of the whole law of God. Love God and love your neighbor. This is what we are called to then as Christians. The banner over us is love. It points us to the love of God in Christ displayed on the cross. But then it becomes our banner in terms of our call in life. To love. Owe no one anything but the constant debt of love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. It should be love that permeates our obedience. Why do you do the things that God wants you to do? It can be done for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of reasons. Not all of them good. Sometimes we do the things that God wants us to do out of sinful pride so that we look better to other people. Why do you do what you do as a Christian? You know, you can think of a young man growing up at home who, who may find it hard to do many things his, his mother might ask of him. You know, could you do this? Would you do that? The same young man who, who very likely at some point in his life would do those same things and many more so quickly and readily for a young lady in his life. His willingness to obey or not obey is motivated and evidenced by love, isn't it? We see the power of love in the one case. And we're concerned about the lack of love in the other case. But it should be love. Our Father in heaven gives us all things in Christ. He takes care of us. He loves us. He first loved us. And so we love him. And his commands are not burdensome. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? God loved us even when we were his enemies. 
And so we're called to have love for neighbor, even neighbors who are enemies. And that has to come from above. That's not natural to us as sinners. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, said Jesus, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How, it, how often is that banner of love found to be flying over our lives as Christians, practically? And that brings us thirdly to the, to the sense of banners and ministry. Banners were also battle flags, battle flags. They are the emblems under which we fight. Song of Solomon 6, verse 4, O oh, my love, you are as beautiful as Tirzah, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. From medieval times to the present, individual army units have their own flags, their colors to represent and identify their group. They carry their flags on the march and in the field. It identifies them uh, in the battle. Well, our banner is love. Our great motivation to serve and to proclaim Christ is love. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us. His love for us and our love for him. Love describes not only why we serve, but how we serve and how we live our lives in this world. Our weapons are not the weapons of this world. Scripture is the sword of the Spirit. It is a sword we wield, but we are to yield it in love, speaking the truth in love. And not only to speak, but we're called to act, to overcome evil with good, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how we're to go out into this world. Loving one another and loving our enemies and loving our neighbor. That should be the great unsettling thing that the people around us experience before they're converted. I really, really don't like what this person is saying to me. But I can't deny they love me. Put your neighbor in that kind of quandary in that kind of just existential questioning. I hate all this stuff, all this God. I hate this Bible. I hate this exclusivity of Jesus and all these things. I hate this law of God that this person is telling me, and yet they love me. They love me. Why don't they hate me back? Wouldn't that be something for our neighbors to have to wrestle with? More and more. Why does this person love me? And pray that you'd be able to tell them because God loved me when I was his enemy. Much greater thing, much greater love. Oh, and then, of course, this all points to the fourth aspect of a banner. It's visibility. Visibility. In Song of Songs 5.10, it says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy outstanding or chief among 10,000. That word chief, he's distinctive. Chief is the same root word for banner, something that is conspicuous and highly visible. That's true of God. 
Love is conspicuous in God. God is love. The cross of Christ speaks of God's justice, but shouts to us of God's love. And love should be conspicuous in the lives of those whose banner is love. Again, what do people notice when they're around us? What do they sense when they are among us here, when they visit our congregation? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. His banner over us is love. Identity. Visibility. Ministry. Authority. And it's all summed up in the word love. The beloved people of God, when the battle rages, and if you wonder if you can go on, when you're tempted to think that the cause of the church is lost, when we're tempted to surrender to the enemy, when we're tempted to focus only on the thorns, lift up your eyes. God's banner still flies over the church, and his banner over us is love. By faith, we need to train our eyes of faith on the flagpole of the church and see what flies there in spite of circumstances, in spite of attack, in spite of our own doubts and fears. His banner over us is love.